as we've achieved greater and greater uh, material prosperity, we're actually experiencing less and less happiness. Indicators of anxiety and depression are on the rise. And so there's a sense in which when we achieve the dream, we're not actually flourishing. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Well, Shalane, I have been looking forward to this episode. Me too, Eric. It's not every day you get to sit down with someone whose work has been so influential both personally and globally. Absolutely. We have the privilege today of having Dr. Brian Fickert with us. Dr. Fickert is a professor of economics and community development at Covenant College and the founder and president of the Chalmers Center for Economic Development. And Brian is also the author of many books and helpful resources. Uh, One that many Canadian Christians may be familiar with is the best-selling work he co-authored with Steve Corbett called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. And if you have not read that yet, we highly recommend it, but we are getting ahead of ourselves here. Yes, we will definitely come back to recommended reads later in the podcast, but let's get started. Uh, Brian, welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. It's so great to be with you folks. I've been so appreciative of the work of Food for the Hungry for many years, and so it's just a joy to be with you. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, Brian, one of the questions that I've just been so excited to share with all of our guests, and especially with you, is if you could finish the sentence, poverty is dot, 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 where would that sentence go for you? You know, Eric, that's really such an important question because most of us in the West answer the question like this. Poverty is about a lack of food or a lack of clothing or a lack of clean water. And and of course, there's truth in that. But when we ask poor people around the world that same question, what is poverty, they typically answer it in different ways. They say things like, I don't feel fully human. I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I'm really able to affect change in my environment. I feel like trash that people want to Mm -hmm. throw away. We tend to define poverty in very material terms. And poor people around the world tend to experience poverty in Yes, material ways, but also psychological and social and even spiritual ways. So what we try to do in our work is to try to answer the question that you've asked, what is poverty in a biblical framework? And and that brings Mm -hmm. us back to Genesis chapter 1 and and what human beings are created for. What the Bible teaches is the human being is not just a body, and we're not just a body and a soul, but we are body, soul, relational creatures. We're, hmm. we're highly integrated body, soul, relational beings. And so we're hardwired, if you if you will, to, to live in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And that wiring is the right wiring for the task that God has given us to do, the task of being priest rulers, people who unfold and unpack God's creation as an act of worship. This is a long answer to your question, isn't it? That's great. (laughs) I'm a professor. And, and, And so if I were to summarize all that I've just said, I would say poverty is the inability to fulfill our callings as priest rulers. Uh, the inability to be image bearers who use our entire beings to enjoy loving relationships with God, with self, 
with others and with the rest of creation. When we frame poverty that way, it, it, it results in a more relational approach to trying to help the poor and a more relational understanding of what success looks like. And so that question is really important for framing all of our work. Hmm. Uh, Brian, yesterday, Eric and I were preparing for this time, and we were talking about this concept of four relationships. And both of us were saying how the first time we encountered that was when we read your book, When Helping mm-hmm. Hurts. And we were wondering, did you coin this? Oh, no. You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't feel like I really know anything. My, my, li- my life is really just about learning and then summarizing what people have taught me and, and hopefully communicating that to others. And so, uh, the first time I encountered uh, that concept was in a fantastic book by Bryant Myers called Walking with the Poor, mm. and which, I, which I'd highly recommend to, to the whole mm. audience here. It's just, a, it's one of those books that it's pretty dense, uh, but but every time I pick it up, I learn something new, and and that book is very much based on this idea of four key relationships. But of course, Bryant Myers, as wonderful as he is, didn't get that on his own either. It really, if you go back to the early church fathers, they were talking about this. Um, mm-hmm. Augustine talks about it, and so so it's something that's actually rooted in the biblical narrative, and it's been part of church history. I think some of us lost that story a little bit. So, all we're really doing is retelling a story that's an old, old story. Well, it it is such a powerful story and it's a resounding story that every time, you know, it comes up in conversation, either in, you know, the podcast or in um, Ending Poverty Together workshops or wherever, it, it really is a concept that kind of blows people's minds. And it's relatively simple, but it's also profound at the same time. And you said something earlier that I want to come back to in that with this perspective shift, how we define success in poverty alleviation will naturally shift as well. And I'm I'm hoping that you can uh, elaborate a little bit more on what does success look like when you're looking at things through this framework? Eric, that's such a great question. You know, we've all kind of absorbed the messages from the surrounding culture. And as an American, and I apologize to our Canadian audience today, but as an American, you know, the kind of the story is the American dream is success. The American Mm. dream is is an image of individual attainment of kind of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And and success tends to look like um, material prosperity. Um, Mm. If I'm successful in uh, having more stuff, then that's the goal, that's the dream. And Canadians have a softer version of that, hmm. but I think there's a fair amount of materialism in Canadian culture as well. And, I think and, you're right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm an economist. This is the story that my profession tells, that, that success is greater consumption. Hmm. And the way that we get success is through economic growth, and then all of us kind of getting on the upward escalator out of poverty into more economic flourishing. That The problem is that all the evidence shows that as we've achieved greater and greater uh, material prosperity, we're actually experiencing less and less happiness. Indicators of anxiety and depression are on the rise. And so there's a sense in which when we achieve the dream, we're not actually flourishing. And so, we really need to reframe our understandings of 
success in poverty alleviation, but I would say just success for all of us in terms of what the good life is, away from thinking it's about sort of individual consumption and towards a, a, a more relational notion of proper relationship, again, with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. That results in completely different metrics for success. It results mm-hmm. in different understandings of of how we should live and be in the world, not just for the poor, but for ourselves. And, mm. and boy, I don't have this figured out uh, in any way, shape, or form. Just ask my wife. Uh, she'll, <laughs> it, she's not here right now, but if she were, she'd shout from the other room, there goes doctor relationship again. And, and, and uh, I, I'm better at talking about it than I am actually living it. And so it's, there's a different mm. way of being in the world that's a better story for all of us and for the materially poor. I appreciate you distinguishing there and saying the materially poor, because as I have been more immersed in this concept and come to understand and really own this idea of the relationships, I'm keenly aware of my own poverty and my own need for reconciliation and healing. And so to speak of the poor, I feel like I'm part of that. That's really it. That's kind of one of our core messages, and it takes a while to, well, it takes a lifetime to unpack that. But, you know, most of us, we kind of think that the goal is to turn uh, low-income neighborhoods in Canada into the more affluent parts of Canada, or, or that the goal is to turn Uganda into Canada. But, but hmm. what the Bible teaches is that all of these places— are fundamentally broken due to the fall. And so the goal isn't to make Uganda like Canada. The goal is to turn all of these places into the new Jerusalem, a place Hmm. where we dwell in the presence of God, where we know who we are as image bearers, where we live in community with others, and where we steward God's creation. And and so it's a different kind of goal, a different kind of, of measure of success a different way of being in the world. And this profoundly changes what we do as we work with low-income people around the world. The goal isn't to turn them into us. The goal Mm. is for all of us to be made new in the image of of Jesus Christ. It's a different goal. Yeah, Yeah, I so appreciate that. Absolutely. And kind of to that point, you know, talking about, I love that not trying to turn Uganda into Canada or into the United States. And that that also brings up, you know, such an important conversation as well around cross-cultural interactions. The perspective that you're talking about, you know, there's there's a humility to it that recognizes that the way that we do things is not necessarily the right way or the best way. And I'm wondering if you can speak more to just how does this this idea of seeing poverty as these broken relationships how do you see that kind of at play in, you know, then bringing in the lens of kind of cross-cultural dialogue, understanding differences between cultures and not trying to just create like a kind of homogenous whole, but fitting that into, as you're talking about the New Jerusalem and all those concepts. I would love to hear some thoughts on that. Eric, what a great question. You know, Americans are very sensitive cross-culturally, so I can see why you're asking American for advice on this. We're so humble in our approach to global relations. Um, Well, it's a terrible problem because um, we do assume uh, as Westerners, and and we very much assume as affluent Westerners, that that to some degree we've arrived, we've been successful. And there is truth in that. I don't want – look – 
every time I travel overseas and then I come back in the, the wheels of the plane set down on American soil, there's a part of me that breathes a sigh of relief. Hmm. I'm home. I'm safe here. And, and this feels right. And so I get all of that. And I appreciate all of that. And I don't, I don't want us to, there, there's a lot of trashing right now of the West. And, and my word, there's a lot of good things in Western civilization. I don't want to downplay any of that. But we also have to have a posture of mutual brokenness. I mean, my word, there's plenty of things going wrong in Western civilization right now. Uh, the political process, at least in America, has, oh, my word. Mm-hmm. I live three blocks from the Georgia state line right now, and, and wow. you know, revolution and civil war are breaking out three blocks away uh, right wow. now in our, in our mm. elections uh, just this week. And the yeah. political process is broken. The families, there's incredible family breakdown. We've got more and more stuff, but we're not flourishing. Hmm. And so that ought to give us a posture of humility, a posture of there's good things in our culture, but there's also broken things, and there's good things in other cultures that we can appreciate. And sometimes those good things run counter to our own notions. And Hmm. so I'm very um, driven. I'm very time conscious. I'm of Dutch descent, and there's a lot of Dutch people in Canada. The Dutch are good at at timeliness and at efficiency. Everything (laughs) runs right. Hmm. And so when I get into a setting where life is a little slower, where people are not very time conscious, I want to pull my hair out, quite frankly. And I I immediately become very critical. Why aren't they just like me? Well, you know, a lot of those folks have a deeper sense of community than I do. Hmm. They've got time to stop and smell the roses. They, hmm. they have time for each other. Yeah. In almost every conversation I'm in, there's a part of me that wants to get out of the conversation. I've got to get something done. Hmm. Hmm. And there's something to be said for slowing down, for yeah. taking time to be with one another. And so we have to learn to appreciate how God has expressed his image in different ways, in different people, in different cultures, and that requires listening. It requires stepping back and looking at the possibilities that others have discovered, things that we don't know. It's a different way of being and approaching different kinds of cultures than simply, we've got to go and fix them and make them like us. I appreciate that. Thanks, Brian. We'd love to just kind of go in a a little bit of a different direction, just kind of explore, because there's so many topics that we could chat with you about and feel like our time is going to fly by. If anyone is looking at the work that you've done and the, the resources that you've created, they will inevitably encounter the, uh, the, the ABCD. What is ABCD? Tell us about that. Certainly, I didn't invent this. This is just something I've learned from others. But ABCD stands for Asset-Based Community Development. Or we could also think of just Asset-Based Individual Development. And uh, it's a set of ideas that have been become very prominent in the space of poverty alleviation. I think we as Christians can reclaim some of the ideas from uh, the principles of asset-based development and really see them in the context of God's redeeming story of creation, fall, redemption. And so the creation story tells us that God created a world that was good and, and that Christ continues to uphold and sustain his creation. Colossians 1 teaches us this, Hebrews teaches us this. And so our predisposition to culture and to people is 
that it's good, that God made it good, and he continues to uphold the goodness that's there. And so an asset-based approach says, discover the good that's already there. And then the fall happens. And so that while we have good, the fall has distorted cultures, it's distorted individuals, and that Christ's redemptive work applies to the whole thing. He's restoring things to what they were created to be. So what does that mean? It means that when a person walks into your church asking for help with their electric bill or with their rent, we should see them in this kind of asset-based development framework, an integration fall redemption framework, if you will. And so so they're they're typically asking for help with their electric bill. And we tend to to view them through a needs-based lens, that they're broken mm-hmm. and that the fall has happened to them. It's like we start our story with Genesis chapter three on the fall mm-hmm. instead of starting it in Genesis chapter one with creation. So we tend, and I'm like this, I'm a critical person in any <laughs> setting. I can find what's wrong immediately. I'm really great at grading my students' papers. It's it's like all the errors like rise from the page and into my brain. It's a horrible way of being. And so I have to to train myself to 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 transform my thinking to get from Genesis 3 back to Genesis 1, that this person standing before me who's asking for help with her electric bill is an image bearer of God Almighty. Mm-hmm. That, that, that God has wired her in his image as a priest ruler and, and that I should expect and anticipate that there's good there, that there's gifts there, that there's abilities there. So the conversation ought to change from, uh, do I pay this electric bill or not? And towards a perspective of what are the gifts and abilities in this person that are there, but the fall has distorted and that Christ's redemption is in the process of healing and bringing restoration to. And so I can live into God's story saying to this woman, what are the gifts and abilities that you have? What dreams do you have? How can we help you to to use your gifts and abilities to pursue the, the calling that God has on your life? And so it shifts from simply this sort of transactional, do I write the check or not? Hmm. into a, what are the gifts and abilities that are here? How have those been distorted by the fall? And how can I work along with Christ in his reconciling work to bring his redemptive activity to bear in this person's life and in my life as I walk with her? And so it's very much focused on gifts and abilities and restoring people to using those gifts and abilities and gets away from just what's wrong and how can I fix this person? Yeah. But Brian, I got to say, it's so much easier to just write the check. It is. And that's what I want to do too. But it doesn't work very well. Because it doesn't, when we just, does it? No, because when we just write the check, we're kind of mm. falling into that material understanding of power that we talked about at the start of the podcast. If we mm-hmm. say, what's, what is poverty? And if we define poverty as simply a lack of material things, then we're just going to write checks. Mm-hmm. And once in a while that works, but most of the time it doesn't. Why? Because poverty is rooted in broken relationships. And you can't mm-hmm. solve broken relationships just through money. I mean, we all know this. Imagine your child comes home from middle school that has been bullied on the playground. And your child's self-image is shattered, that your child's got a bloody nose, they're crying, and you open up your wallet and you hand them $5. Hmm. <laughs> Your child would look at you and you're like, what? I, 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 
what's this supposed to do for me? What, clearly, your child needs something more than just $5. They, they need mm. hugs. They need mm-hmm. love. They need a story that says to them, you are somebody, and, 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 and I'm with you, and we can walk through this together, and there's a way to overcome this problem. $5 isn't going to solve that. And so it's, no. we, it's goofy what we do. So poor people are coming into our offices with tremendous stories of, of oppression and, and abuse and, and personal sin and brokenness. And we think we can write them a check and solve all that. It's just silly. Mm. You can't solve relational brokenness through money alone. It's going to take something bigger than that. And mm. that something bigger is far more costly and that's the problem. Most of us don't want to spend the time on the, the real time that it takes. Most of us don't want to spend that. It's easy to write the check. But they'll be yeah. back next week. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. Of the three currencies, money, time, and energy, money is absolutely the easiest just to send out the door. By far. Yeah. But we've got to be careful here. You know, sometimes when people hear this message, they say, oh, so I'm not supposed to give my money anymore. <laughs> That's not the message. Mm-hmm. That certainly isn't the message that Fruit for the Hungry wants people to hear. Nope. <laughs> what we're talking about is profoundly expensive. Hmm. And what we really need are people who have financial resources to pay for staff members of organizations like Food for the Hungry to hang out with poor people in ways hmm. that are highly relational and empowering. We need hmm. donors to pay for staff to hang out with people. Mm-hmm. And that sounds silly, but that's really what it takes. Hanging mm-hmm. out with people takes time. There's no quick fix. There, there's no easy solution. It takes time. And as a result, it's actually way more expensive. So we need big checks written, but checks written not just for ladling soup or for dumping bags of grain. We need checks written to enable people to walk in empowering relationships with low-income individuals and communities. We need bigger checks written for the right things. There you go. Thank you for that, Brian. Um, and and I, I say that very sincerely because the message is that I'm hearing is we need both. Because I know that I have a responsibility to participate financially. I also have a responsibility to participate relationally in my own neighborhood. Totally. So it's here, it's there, it's, it's that whole package. You know, most of us, I, I don't know what your neighborhoods look like, but most of us on this podcast probably live in neighborhoods where we don't have a lot of contact with people who are materially poor. Mm-hmm. And, and so... This raises questions about where do we live, about where do we worship, Mm. about where do we go out to eat in restaurants? What can we do to put ourselves in relationship with materially poor people right in our own backyards? But then also, how can we use our financial resources to support those who are able to walk in those kinds of relationships all over the world? And just to put this out there for those who are listening, and I'm sure that already you have lots of thoughts and questions about some of the things that we've talked about, uh, we encourage you to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org, and we can continue this conversation in that format as well. Brian, I wanted to ask as well about another term that I know you're familiar with, and I'm not sure if you coined it, but um, this concept of evangelical Gnosticism is one that really stood out to me because I think it kind of put a name to something that I had a sense about. And I would love it if you could share more um, to explain that concept. 
I would love to. You know, uh, I don't know if he coined the term or not, but I first heard the term from a gentleman named Daryl Miller, who mm. used to work for Food for the Hungry and now mm-hmm. is in a, a kind of a partner organization of Food for the Hungry called Discipling the Nations. And Daryl has been a great thought leader in the whole space of poverty alleviation. And Daryl has made the point that many kind of secular organizations that work amongst the poor have a material understanding of what a human being is. And in mm. economics, my discipline certainly has that. And so the human being is fundamentally a material creature. Again, success in that view is more stuff. And what Darrow and others have argued is that many of us in the church in the West have sort of mixed the gospel with that sort of Western materialist framework. And what we've basically said is the human being isn't just physical. We have souls, but we kind of view the soul as detached from the body a little bit. So, so we kind of think this sounds a little bit abstract, but we, we tend to think of the body as sort of a container for the soul. Hmm. And, and the real goal is to get the soul to heaven, where the soul floats around for all eternity like a ghost. Hmm. And, and quite frankly, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's not really a, a, a very nice vision of human flourishing to be a ghost for all eternity. No. This kind of approach kind of treats the material as not very important and the spiritual as super important. And what we kind of do is we use material ministry as a hook to get the chance to share the gospel, it's not really the whole gospel, but to share the gospel mm. to get the soul to heaven. So, mm. so let me give you an example. My primary spiritual gift, by the way, is offending people, so I'm about to do that. <laughs> so, 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 some people were okay. given love, joy, and peace. I was given offensiveness. So, okay. so, so Hold on, Eric. Here yeah, we go. <laughs> so so ma- many of the churches who are listening to this podcast, I mean, the Christians living listening to this podcast, attend churches where there's a a ministry that's just not very effective. And mm. I'm going to call it the the hula hoop ministry. I don't know if you have hula hoops in Canada, but, but <laughs> so, so so it's the hula hoop ministry. And what happens is poor people come to the church and they're given a hula hoop. And they've been coming for 30 years and they've got a hula hoops from their from their toes all the way up to their uh, to the top of their heads. They, they've been getting hula hoops for 30 years. Now the hula hoops aren't doing any good. And, and in fact, the hula hoops are constraining people from human flourishing, but we continue to give them hula hoops. Well, well, if you ask the people in charge of the hula hoop ministry, why are you doing this? And they say, they'll say this, well, you know, we know it doesn't really do any good, but we want them to experience the love of Jesus. Because when they experience the love of Jesus, we can share with them that Jesus loves them and they can repent of their sins and get their soul beamed up to heaven someday when they die. <laughs> so the hula hoop is just sort of a hook to get the chance to share the tract to get the soul to heaven for all eternity. Well, that's evangelical Gnosticism. Get the soul to heaven. This world doesn't matter. Our bodies don't matter. And for all eternity, we're ghosts. But that's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is ushering in a new creation, a fully embodied new creation where we will live forever as full human beings, as highly integrated bodies, souls, and relationships that will really be you and me there. 
um, that, that we'll know who Shalane is there and who Eric is and who Brian is. We'll know each other there and that we'll, we'll live in, a, in an embodied world. It's a fuller story. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news that Jesus comes to bring. Luke chapter 4, mm-hmm. verse 43, Jesus says, I've come to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Because that's why it was sent. The kingdom of God is the ushering in of a new heavens and new earth. That's the message we've got to communicate. And it's a better message. So when that woman walks into our church asking for help with her electric bill, we don't want to just give her a hula hoop or even just write a check. Mm. We want her to experience the fullness of God's Mm. redeeming story. Mm. When we walk into a brothel, I mean, imagine this. We walk into a brothel somewhere in Asia and there's a little girl there who's been sold by her parents into slavery because they can't eat. And she's being abused 24-7. And our message for her is, repent of your sins and one day your soul can go to heaven when you die. Mm. That's not a compelling message for her. She wants to be liberated from this brothel and to be restored to all that it means mm. to be fully human. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is restoring all things. And so we do need to repent of our sins, of course, because it's only those who come to Christ in faith and repentance that get to experience the fullness of the coming of the kingdom. But it's a bigger message than simply get your soul beamed up. It's a message Mm. of wholeness, of flourishing, of restoration to all that it means to be human. It's a better story. And that's the story we've got to say, and that's the story we have to live out in our deeds and in our poverty alleviation work. Mm-hmm. And it changes the it changes what we do, how we do it, the metrics of success. It's a very different approach. Sure does. It sure is. Would you share with our listeners where they can find out more? We've talked a little bit at the beginning about you being the founder of the Chalmers Center. And what kind of resources can people expect to find if they visit you at the Chalmers Center? Thank you so much for that question. Um, yeah, the Chalmers Center is a um, a church equipping organization. We don't want low income people to ever hear of the Chalmers Center. Rather, we want low income people to experience the local church in mm. their community, as what the Scripture says it is the very embodiment of Jesus Christ. And so, we're a church equipping organization. There's plenty of resources on our website. On our website, it's just www.chalmersch. A, L as in Larry, M as in Mary, E-R-S, Chalmers, www.chalmers.org. I once spelled it wrong on a, on a global podcast, so I think I got it right. Chalmers.org, and um, you'll find all kinds of um, courses there that you can take, various kinds of resources, helping with our hurting and short-term missions, helping our hurting and church mm-hmm. benevolence, um, helping with our hurting the small group experience, um, how to love your neighbor, uh, is a course that we have there. Um, mm. We have a new book that came out last year called Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American or Canadian Dream, and a field guide that's associated with that that gives you all kinds of principles and tools. And so uh, we also have very um, particular ministries that you can use, something called Faith and Finances, which provides financial education for low-income people, work life, a work preparedness curriculum. So all kinds of resources there for you to tap into. That's great. And I can speak to just the superior level of content that you provide. It's it, mm-hmm. There's just an excellence. I have taken groups through some of the courses, uh, about to take a group through the Church Benevolence one this month, and just really, really appreciate the work that you've put into it because the content is just excellent. 
Oh, thank you for that encouragement. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're not sure if you're doing any good or not. So, it's very encouraging to hear that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, for our listeners, I want to ask, what are you leaving with today? You know, what has resonated with you today that you can start doing or stop doing uh, as soon as tomorrow? You know, the next step is to do the next thing so that we can all work towards ending poverty together. Brian, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us here today, for sharing your insights, sharing your wisdom. And I just have to say that there is a, there's a humility to you that is so refreshing, that there's a, a sense of you understand and see yourself as a learner. And that is a refreshing posture for someone of your caliber, really, to, say, to speak frankly. It's just so refreshing to, to hear from you and to hear you speak such important things. Um, Shalane, were there any other questions that you would like to ask before we, before we turn off well, for the day? Well, I do happen to know that there is a bit of an issue that's just kind of not been spoken to yet, particularly, Eric, between you and Brian. I wondered if you wanted to address that. Oh, wow. I've been called out on the spot. I'll clarify. Brian, in our pre-show correspondence, had some very choice words about my personal heart and soul basketball team, the Toronto Raptors. And Brian, I just <laughs> wanted to check in with you and see, are you a Milwaukee fan? Is that is that who you follow or who, who's your yes, team of I choice? Yes, I follow God's team, the Milwaukee Bucks, <laughs> and, and eventually... <laughs> Just as all stream to Mount Zion, eventually all will stream to Milwaukee to see the wonder of the Bucks. But actually, I had to eat. I had to kind of eat my words a number of years ago when the, when the Raptors destroyed my team. So, so yes. I am coming yes. to you in humility, or newfound wow. humility. And and uh, yeah, we've got some work to do. Well, we are we are experiencing a healthy dose of that humility this year with a, a one in five start at the time of recording <laughs> oh, this podcast. Oh, that's such so, a shame, Eric. I'm yeah, so sorry to it, hear that. <laughs> it's quite a shame, but we are we are holding tight to our championship from a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Well, Brian, I echo Eric's words of uh, gratitude for who you are and the work that you do, and that you would be willing to hang out with us here and spend some time. There is a lot to be unpacked, and I look forward to connecting with you more in the future. Thank you so much, and may God bless you in all these incredible things that you're doing, and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. You know, I I think so highly of Food for the Hungry Canada and have had the joy Mm -hmm. of interacting with your organization over the past decade, I think, actually including some very lonely drives through remote parts of Canada <laughs> uh, as I was driving to various speaking engagements and, and just think the world of you folks and so thankful mm. for all that you're doing and just uh, want to continue to walk with you as best as we can. Mm. Well, thank you. If Did you have any other final thoughts you wanted to share with us? Anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, just one, one little thing. You know, Eric asked a great question. Uh, you know, what is the next step? For the audience, what what is the next step? And and so often people ask me, you know, what's the first thing I should do? And and people mm. are typically looking for some tip or some trick. And and certainly there are tips and tricks that are important. But I really have come to believe that the right next step is actually repentance. Mm. And we we've got to repent of our arrogance and our pride as Westerners. We've got to repent of a highly materialistic understanding of the world. And as we repent, the good thing in the scriptures is that as we repent, we get made new. Mm. 
And so we need to press into the truths of the gospel and all that those truths mean for ourselves. And so it's not so much about tips and tricks. It's about living into a different story, a better story, God's redeeming story. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Joy to be with you. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about the Chalmers Center and what Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 